Welcome to Debriefing Mr. Luna. We today are debriefing Mr. Luna about episode 002, The Villisca Axe Murders. Mr. Luna, hi. Hi. Hey, how you doing? Good. I just, um, I was going to mix things up today and just, you know, come right out of the shoots with, uh, how are you holding up? Oh, right, right. I'm good. I'm good. I like that, uh, this, this, uh, this trip that we went on is my favorite. Actually, this was supposed to be the first one that we went on, if we're being honest. And, uh, it was the first one that we went off on, but we held back on it because it's a little too, uh, paranormal or whatever. I didn't want to give people the wrong impression that this podcast might be, uh, it's a little, it's a little strange, you know, I didn't want to turn certain people off. So we decided to go with Dahmer with the Dahmer trip first, something a little bit more familiar, but this, this was a wild one. Yeah. So yeah, I agree with you. You'll hit them with the blue chip stocks off the front, make something that's reliable, like a, you know, good old homegrown serial killer, as opposed to ghost stories right well it's not even a ghost story though you know i mean we i we took it from that angle yeah but it is but what but it is yeah well it's it's eight people died in that house i thought it was known more than uh the feedback that i've been getting so far on it um it looks like quite a few people did not know about this particular case I didn't even know about it. When you were like, hey, we're going to do Voliska, I thought you were talking about the girl I knew in the third grade. I was like, that's creepy. What, you got girls named Voliska? Where are you from? Yeah, sure. That's a common name? Ten of them that I can think of on one hand. Wow. On one hand? <laughs> I feel like a Oompa Loompa or something, man. Yo, this, this place... Hey, neither here nor there. Right. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> no, it was uh, going deep into the past. Difficult to really uh, put across really the way that it was back then. I mean, try tried in certain certain circumstances to let you know, you know, like the, the lights in the town weren't lit that night. They would have to go up and light them. And I think there was a couple of moments there where somebody who's listening close enough would be like, what they called her grandmother they had a telephone but they were lighting the lamps outside yeah they had telephone service back then uh for, especially like with people who had more money and uh the moore family were well established within this community and they, they had money man yes. they had money right yeah. well yeah it, yeah it's hard to the, the early 1900s are, are kind of a challenge for people to understand because you know did they have technology x or y you know, how, how heavily used was it? Uh, yeah, you know, they, they were still at the time. You could go down any road and find just as many horse, horses as you did cars. And in some cases, more horses than cars. But that, yeah, the telephone had been around since the late 1800s. And yeah, this is challenged to, is it, it's a challenging visual to give to someone in the, the year 2000 something, you know. <laughs> yeah, 19. Well, yeah, you could say 19, but I didn't want to date us so that after when someone listens to this episode in 2027, 
Right. They're like, oh man, this is old, old crap. Yeah, we're going to be hot. We're going to be hot 10, 15 years from now. We're hot already, man. You're right. That's good thinking there. Uh, actually, well, my math is eight years. Yeah, sorry. My, my math's off there. So, <clears throat> yes. Um, the thing with this too is that this home, like many homes, I said it wasn't so desolate, but I guess it kind of was. I mean, they, they had a neighbor next door. And this is a woman who didn't come up in this episode. Uh, a lot of things did not come up in this episode. We, we couldn't cover everything. I just We focused, we went right into the home and showed the murder as it happened. But there, the neighbor next door, a woman, a widower, I believe, was the one who came over and saw that Josiah Moore or his wife did not come out to let the chickens out. And that tipped her off to give a phone call to Josiah Moore's uh, brother, I forget his name, and he came in and found all this. This woman, she ended up leaving Velisca and going to live somewhere else and ended up dying. Apparently, she went mad from uh, the knowledge that she was next door when all this went down. She may have heard noises, what have you. I'm sure there was some kind of noise, murdering eight people in one house. But there's a lot of uh, peripheral stuff that happened that we weren't able to cover here. Tons of it, including who possibly could have done it. Right. Am I right? Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. The, uh, the takeaway there that I got is, do you know why this is, is important? That, the, that, that not letting the chickens out is, was such a significant thing? Do you know why? No. For reals, because if you, if you, if you keep a chicken scooped up, their cycle for producing eggs is so short that if you, if you don't let them out, you'll miss a day of producing food. So it wasn't just like, oh, that's weird. The chickens aren't out. It's, it's holy cow. They're not going to have eggs tomorrow. Yeah. If they, you know, so it was a thing. Like that was one of the things. Like you watched over your neighbors and the way that their, their systems worked and the things that they did, their operation, because if, if you saw something out of whack, you, you went to help. And this was a severe enough thing, especially, didn't, didn't you say that uh, during the time at the beginning when her or the brother, that there was a little bit of time that was spent looking around the house going, holy cow, all the windows are blocked. So yes, yeah, yeah. It's hilarious you keep on saying, holy cow. Maybe that derives from like a cow being out, but the chicken's not, and they're like talking to the cows, you know, hey, holy, what do you think about this cow, right? Exactly. Yeah. There's a whole Wikipedia on cow. Yeah, you're super in tune with this, yeah. with all the times. Yes. But so, yeah, they went around the house, saw that all the windows were blocked off, and then uh, his brother went into the, into the home, and came across the girls in the uh, blue room, what they call it, in the back. Uh, there's so much to cover here. Up, I don't know. I mean, they were posed. Go ahead. You, you take control, please. No, I just, I'll, I'll ask you some more questions that may help to focus where, where, you want to, where you want to take things. I'll let you feel like you can take things in a certain direction by me directing <laughs> things by asking questions. <laughs> So, so, sorry, so, I didn't okay. mean to laugh. That was that, that was, was a weird laugh. Yeah. Sorry, I have an ugly laugh. Creepy. Beautiful cry, but ugly laugh. Yeah. Hey, so Mr. Luna, why, why did you choose this location? Uh, well, I, uh, to be honest with you, I watched an episode of Ghost Adventures where they uh, covered this, and that's where like the uh, 
everything came from the inspiration for this episode came from. I couldn't believe the way that, that they were questioning the two sisters that I spoke about, you know, really forcing them to say certain things. It felt like it was a good episode. Uh, don't get me wrong. I love all the ghost Avengers episodes for not the reasons you might think it makes me laugh. Uh, though I do believe in a lot of the, the EVPs, the, uh, voices that they catch, I don't think that they're doctoring them so much, and you can laugh at me if you want, but I really don't believe so. I think they're catching things once in a while. And in this house, what got me off guard was that, well, there was one particular EVP they caught where something says, I killed six kids. Oh. And you, do you have that? I do, actually. I've got it right here. Let's, let's let the listening audience hear. I killed six kids on the EVP. Here we go. Ready? I'm ready. And a one. Hold on. Let me push some buttons on Karen really quick. Here we go. Well, that was a quick loop. We'll play that again. So, I killed six kids. Yeah. You don't feel it? Well, they could have. I could see where. No, I don't see it. I, I heard. I heard. Get. And then, must rain every hour. That's what I heard. I did not. I, uh, that could have said, for, don't forget to get bread. <laughs> don't forget. To fold clothes. I don't... All right. That's fine. That's fine. Listen, when you're watching the show and they put the subtitles underneath, it's very convincing. Yeah. I hear you. Hearing it myself right there sounds a little little strange, but I mean, that apparently they picked that up out of nowhere, and they're still talking within it. I'm sure they can loop it in afterwards, but I mean... Okay, but okay. Let me ask you a question then when it comes to that. Mm. Give me your your give me your take on paranormal activity on ghosts or like what what's up there what's up there okay sure i think when something very powerful happens in a particular spot there's some residual energy left over i do believe and this is based on just all the things that i've read about and again i really don't care what anybody else thinks and it's fine question it whatever but this is this is just my kind of off the wall wall feeling about things every serial killer that i've ever covered or studied or look into whatever they all seem to have this feeling that they're being controlled by something and that they will be rewarded in the afterlife and that the ones that they're killing will become their slaves in the afterlife as well. And we all seem to have this feeling that like once you go and if you believe in something that good will overcome and you'll be protected. I've said it on past episodes of my son died in a car accident, whatever, when he was like young, that I would kill myself to go and protect him because I believe that there's things beyond this world the same as in this world if you want to believe in that kind of, if you subscribe to that mentality that there's good and evil and there's you know, things happen for a reason, all that stuff, which I don't believe in, is that it's not all good over there the same way it's not good here. And a child on the other side wandering around could easily be, be susceptible to something evil 
grabbing it and picking it up. So when it comes to a place like the Velisca Axe Murder House, or it comes to a place like the Cecil Hotel where Elisa Lamb ended up naked in that uh, cistern on, on the roof, or uh, it comes to um, Vince Lee decapitating Tim McLean on a Greyhound bus out here where I live. I believe that there are people here, yes, I know there are people here that are mentally ill, and this is going a little bit off track, mentally ill, and they'll chalk it up. So Elisa Lamb is bipolar, that's how she ended up in the cistern. Uh, Vince Lee is uh, schizophrenic, so that's why he ended up chopping this guy's head up because he, he heard these voices. Whoever killed those people in the Velisca Axe Murder House, how do you kill a family of eight and they cannot figure out who the hell this guy was that did this? They can't, they can't there's no clear uh, person who did this. And then he covers the mirrors, he covers the windows. In my mind, he's trying to trap those souls and hold them in the afterlife. In my mind, Elisa Lamb, yes, bipolar. But there are spirits in that hotel, that, and she is made more easily susceptible by her mental illness for them to infiltrate her and force her to go up on that roof, take her clothes off, and, and drown herself. In my mind, with Vince Lee, he's on the Greyhound bus, and yes, he hears voices, but the voices that he's hearing going through that particular patch of land in rural Manitoba may be being infiltrated by some of the evil spirits that still lay there from maybe back in Native American times. The Wendigo. There are these spirits that, you know, that tell you they, 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 to eat the flesh of others to make yourself more powerful and whatnot. He suddenly turns from a regular schizophrenic man into a cannibalistic killer who wants to eat the genitals of this man and, and feels like he's gaining power off of him. I feel like there are forces beyond that infiltrate us here in, in this, this, this world that we're, we're, we're accustomed to, that we know, this, this, you know, this world that we're all in. Um, and the mentally are more susceptible. And this case, this Velisca Axmer case, whoever committed these crimes is one of them. And I believe it's possible that he trapped those souls of those children. And on top of that, I think the reason why he smashed out the eyeballs of Josiah Moore, uh, 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 you know, the, the, the figurehead of the family and the wife, maybe that he knew instinctually or through the voices that were speaking to him, that that would affect him in some way of protecting his children in that afterlife. Wow. So, I mean... No, that's long. I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot that I just said. But I mean, these these are these are off the wall beliefs that I have. These are just feelings that I have. Well, I don't uh, honestly a, a bit of just a wordsmithing. I believe that you and I have similar viewpoints on on many of those things. So, like I believe, like fundamental belief that I have is that we as humans believe uh, no no we as humans have have a singular power that cannot be taken from us that we can only give and that is our agency our ability to act for ourselves hmm. and that you look at it uh, whether you look at it spiritually or or in other ways uh, you know it, or even in the middle like on the spiritual side, people who believe things that are, you know, from a spiritual, like God, God, devil, you know, that, that dynamic there, they look at it and they believe that. They believe, hey, if I act in a righteous way or a good way, I invite certain, certain blessings or, or attributes of, of a God into my life. They also believe, mm. that, so, you know, the, the, the spiritual aspect and then people maybe further down the line that just believe that 
you know, maybe it's more sensational, but they're like, hey, a person can be possessed by an evil spirit by what? They can't just walk into you. You have to allow them in. So that, I believe agency, this ability to act for, act for ourselves and, and uh, it is a very powerful thing that even God doesn't get in the way of. He, that's uh, case in point. You know, people are always like, how could God let this happen? How could God let that happen? Because I believe that, that he, he, he respects our ability to choose whether it's catastrophic to other people or beneficial to other people. He, is, he will not swoop down and get in the way because the moment he does, we, we're, we, will, we will be criti critical of that and it takes away our ability to act, right? So I believe this. I believe that... Yes. That that agency predates this life. So like we we had the, the we had choice before we came here. That we're here and we have choice the whole time we're here. Terrible things can happen because of man's choice. Great things can happen because of man's choice, and we're always affected by it by other people's choices. But we in we in turn have the ability to to choose. So after this life, I believe that choice is still a factor. Like we still exist in a spiritual realm and that I believe that the ghost or, or the spiritual presence in a place are potentially people that are like, they know, they are aware then of the consequence of not leaving this earth, but they still choose to, to, to dwell here. They, they know that they are maybe um, foregoing their progression in, or progress in, or, or advancement into whatever comes next but they, for whatever reason, whether it's pride or inconsolability or whatever those things are, they will not leave. And, and that's, that's what creates those saturation points, those spiritual gravity in those areas like the house, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, <clears throat> also, yes. You're very deep there, Rob. Jeez. Oh, thanks. You think a lot. You think a lot more than you, than you seem on the surface. I have internet down here. Yeah. <laughs> so I also, I think in the beyond, wherever that may be, and I do believe in that, is that it's not as simple as just a house, his house now, more like his area now. You think of like maybe a suit with like a big blotch in it in one part. So this part's not, the house is not just haunted, like the entire area. And what you see in, in the afterlife isn't just a house with stairs and, and whatnot. It's an area within wherever that is where that person, that thing, that spirit rules. And I, I feel like there are those spots. I feel like there are those spots every once in a while that, that, that draw people with mental illness uh, once, not, not draws them to them, but once they enter that spot, they're affected in a certain way. Um, mental institutions, okay? A lot of history, um, a lot of energy, a lot of yelling prisons. Um, I, I knew a woman who worked in, in a mental institution who said every time there was a full moon that all, all the patients would, would act crazy. They would act funny, you know? And, and yes, that could be the effect of the moon pulling on the tides and our waters, our, our, sorry, our bodies being 80% water and, and then affecting the water in our bodies and it making us act strange. Maybe that's it. Um, but it just seems that certain places seem to attract this kind of behavior. And Willisca, Villisca, uh, was known by the Native Americans before uh, the white man started to settle that area as a place you do not go. 
And they would send their mad. They would send their, their crazy people from their tribe walking out there just to die. So a lot of sad and forlorn people died in that particular spot because of their belief system in that. And uh, this happened to occur in, in, this, in this exact spot. And like I m- mentioned with Elisa Lamb, uh, in the Cecil Hotel, Richard Ramirez stayed there. Okay, not, not that that I'm not saying that Ramirez did that in spirit. He wasn't even alive. He was still alive actually when she passed. He died a couple of months afterwards, though. Um, there was the Black Dahlia. She she was she was having drinks there uh, a couple of days before she passed. So you know, it's just it's just a very and there's more. There's more. An Australian serial killer was there as well. Uh, just a very sad place, a place with a lot of his, a lot of history, a lot of energy. And when you see the, I don't want to make this to a Lisa Lamb uh, after show because we didn't cover her. But when you watch that security footage, she is running from something. And yes, mental illness. Yes, something's in her head. But in her head, something's there, and it wasn't there in the street, dude. It's there when she's in that building with all of this residual if you want to believe in that, energy. And in my mind, something evil pushed her up onto that roof and forced her to do her own, herself in, in the way that she did in such a, such a strange way. So anyways, let's get back to it. What, what, what else do you want to talk about there? Uh, hey, so one thing actually on that um, is that, that, that it had history before it was, well, I don't know what you call white, white man came and was there. I mean, it was actually a, <laughs> Whitewashed? You know, a place that was, yeah, before it was, you know, gentrified. Uh, gentrified, that's a good way. Yeah, that of the, the um, Indians, the Native American, Native, yeah, that was Iowa. Yeah, Native Americans, that, that they had a use for that land as well. And it was a place sort of desolation, right? A place of uh, discard. Yes, yes, discard, exactly, yes. Interesting. Yeah, a, a, a powerful place, apparently. So let's, anyways, let's get off of that. Let's get into, well, it's up to you, but I mean, quickly, I'd like, I would like to get into who could have possibly done this. Because obviously on the podcast, that's not the route we te- I took at all. It was, it was like, there's a shadow man in the attic because I don't know who did this. And anyone who claims to know um, is, you know, they're biased in whatever their research is. But we have a few, don't we? Yeah, but, you know, you don't know, and I don't know, but does the host of the ghost show know? <laughs> that was, when you, when, you, when you said that, I was like, oh, crap, man, he's spitting rhymes like Eminem. I was expecting, like, mom's <laughs> spaghetti to come after. But, hey, so, no, okay, before we get to who, I got one, so, just, uh, just a, a, a question I want you to think for a second about like the, when you were in the soup with this episode, when you were thinking about when you when you were in it, whether it was you were recording the parts or writing the parts, was there any part that you regretted digging into? Like that that you're like, oh man, I, this is uh, you know. Yeah, sure. You're right. Yes, there was, and it was with the bacon, and it was with like uh, don't rape the children, the, that whole part with the bacon. So they found a four pound slab of bacon. Uh, it's not clear if it was masturbated into or whatever, but here's the thing. A lot of things aren't clear about this case because after it happened, the entire town came to the house and tramped through the house. This is not a controlled crime scene. We don't have DNA evidence. 
we have a piece of Josiah Moore's skull actually missing by the end of it because one of the townspeople took it as a souvenir. It was completely, uh, excuse my language, uh, but fucked up. Like, it was fucked, man. It, it was completely ruined. But you imagine today eight people get murdered in a house in your neighborhood and the entire town comes through and just walks through it. Well, there's a mob mentality there, right? So, like, once it, and this is kind of textbook, it's, it's once a crowd gets to a certain point, there's, there, there can be a presumed or an assumed uh, personality of that crowd. That's why they say a mob mentality. And the mob, the mob in this case uh, didn't overpower the sheriff or anyone. They just did what they wanted. And they were, you know, innocent bystanders that just, yes. like the sheriff said, he said, as soon as I try to stop them in the front door, they come in the back door. Like they just, they were thinking as a group, not as individuals, right? Yes. Yes. And the sheriff isn't like your, your, your sheriff of, well, your, your police captain of today or even a sheriff of the Wild West. I mean, this is a guy who has dealt with nothing. They're dealing with a town labor dispute where like the guys won't light the wicks of the friggin' street lights, lights around town. That's the biggest thing they're dealing with. And they got to wake up in the morning to eight people being murdered in the house. So they're trying to stop people at the door. Not really. It's their friends. Hey, can I check it out? Yeah, go ahead. And like so many people go through the house. But sorry, to answer your question, it's like, the thing that, that I was kind of uh, not regretting but, but a little hesitant to go into was them finding this four-pound slab of bacon in the room with the girls. And I knew that the two girls had been repositioned for their bottoms to be facing whoever this was. It was facing the door. And this, pa- this slab of bacon is, is beside the axe. Um, and I can only deduce that this guy used this... Not that I do this or anybody I've ever heard of does this, but apparently, but apparently back in the day, they would, they would, you know, fornicate with a slab of bacon. And, and I looked into that. I was like, oh, it was a masturbation device. It was a, it was a makeshift vagina. Right. Um, so, or rectum. Let's, let's, be, let's be PC about this. Or rectum. Right. Right. It could have been a rectum. Could have. All right. Rectum damn near killed him. So yes. the thing, I hate that joke. I don't even understand it. So, so anyways, I ran with that and I pulled it back where I, where I said, um, don't rape the girls. So in my mind, it's like, if this guy's got two, it's hard to say, two little girls bottoms, he's positioned towards himself. And there's a slab of bacon four pound slab of bacon in the room. And we're not talking about slices, just a slab that you can manipulate. Um, he felt some guilt. He was not going to rape the girls for some reason. And in my twisted mind, it's that it would sully them in the afterlife in some way for him. I see. And I, 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 and, and that's, you know, this, this is a ghost story so I can go wherever, wherever the hell I want. And it's also from the, the early 1900s. And you can go where you want to, anyone listening to this. Um, I'd love to hear what people ha- have to say about it. Um, but I think I've basically said everything that I, that I really need to say. Yeah. Where, where, where my viewpoint is, who this... I don't, I, I, the only thing I haven't said is who I think that this person is, who he was. And I have a pretty good feeling about that. We can get into that unless you want to talk about something else, Sarah. No, let's, let's, um, let's get into that. So, yeah. suspect number one. Uh, 
and really these are in, well, I'm sure that there is a timeline as to who was, you know, suspect number one, number two, whatever. Sure. But the way I've got them listed here, Frank F. Jones, first, first suspect, he's perhaps yeah. the most surprising name that's linked to the Velisca murders. Um, he was a respected member of the community. He was actually an Iowa state senator. Who knew? But I guess they all did, right? Josiah Moore had actually worked for Jones for a, a whole bunch of years before he left working with him to start his own business selling farm equipment. Right. But apparently when he left, he also took a very expensive uh, lucrative, I guess is the right word, John Deere contract with him. So he he pulled the, the contract from Mr. Jones to to his own, you know, operation. So he sold, he, you know, he took the contract. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that that is definitely, a, a, you know, a sticking point where you're like, okay, well, maybe there's motive there, right? Jones has a motive. That's a extreme. Think about the times. I mean, that is agrarian as you get. Iowa, and then uh, all that. So you take a contract like John Deere away, right? And that's that's crazy. That's crazy talk. You know, you just hurt a man's livelihood, right? So there's also a rumor at the time that was pretty persistent that Moore had been carrying on an affair with John's daughter. Yeah. Um, who 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 was carrying on affairs? You know, not to slut shame. But but she she was carrying on affairs with a lot of men. That the daughter was apparently, yes. Y- yeah, she yeah. was. She was. Uh, yes, yeah, she was. She was. I'd like to hear how you explain. That. I thought you were going to say beating around the bush or something stupid. No, it sounds like they were beating around her bush. What? <laughs> Take it easy. Yeah. So yes. So so and he was. There was no charges brought against this guy. So there's a lot on that one. I kind of. You know, I kind of like that one, not like that one, but I mean, I'm, I'm drawn to that one. There's a lot there. Um, the fact that, that it seemed like whoever killed this entire family, and I got to say this real quick, that the two in the basement, the, sorry, the two in, two in the uh, first floor, the two girls, Lena and Ina, were afterthoughts, and they, the only ones who had defensive wounds, um, because he did not know they were there. That we should, we should make that very clear. That whoever killed these these people, in my opinion, did not know they were there. How could they? They were like there at the last moment, you know? They were supposed to go home to their grandma's house, but they stayed because it was too dark because of the light situation. Um, and, 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 and sorry, to add to that, anybody who has a reason to really desecrate the body of uh, Josiah Moore and his wife has to be you know, really considered because, because to me, it seemed like he, he knocked them all out with the blunt end of the ax, killed them with it, and then went back and really roughed up Josiah Moore. And that's, you know, points at some kind of anger towards the heads of the house. Let me ask you this. But go ahead. Let me ask you this. Let me put you in the, let's say, you, let, pretend you are the killer. Okay. And let's say you're Frank. Let's say you're Frank. Okay. So you are a respected member of the community. You are, you're highly aware, having had Josiah Moore work for you, mm. you are very aware of who is in his family and who is not in his family. 
you go, you go to the extent of killing his family very consistently with the axe, right? Mm-hmm. You, you are a respected member of the community. You are aware of the people in the community. You come across two girls that are not members of the family. I'll tell you, like, if I'm trying to channel the killer and I'm Frank Jones, if I'm, I'm saying, if I'm identifying Frank as the killer, I see those two and I'm like, I cannot let them, they will know it's me. I, they recognize me. But I almost wonder if I would m- give them a merciful killing. Like I, would, I wouldn't do it the same way. Like maybe I suffocate them or hmm. I do something not as brutal and as, as evil as I had done to the others because... You're, you're, you're out of yeah. your mind. Can I interrupt you for a second there, Rob? Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. You're out of your mind if you think that a more merciful killing is him suffocating them than hitting them with the blunt end of an axe. Okay. Maybe you're right. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I just haven't thought through my merciful kills lately. You know, it's like no, you, you clearly not. But 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 I hear where you're going. F- fed them to death, maybe. Yeah. yeah, I would do something more merciful, like wrap my hands around their necks, okay, and suffocate them to death in front of each other. It was a bit of a half cocked uh, question. I'll, I'll give you that. Sure, well, half cocked response. Yeah. Mm. Um. So, anyways, not to be rude, I mean... No, I, I, that wasn't... It was constructive feedback. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I get it. You just one-starred my, my, my idea. I did. That's fine. I definitely did. I roll with one-stars yeah. just fine. <laughs> yeah, you do. Yeah. It's no problem for you at all. No way. So, but what I will say is that I don't think that he would do it on his own. I respect a member of the community and all that. I think that he would hire somebody to do it. And in any case, maybe he would he would tell that person to really you know lay it down on on the heads of the house and just kill everybody else that could be witness. Um, but let's move on from him. Yes. Yeah, so you think that is nice segue, by the way. I don't know if you knew this, but mm. so no. Just to just to wrap up, Frank, no formal charges were ever brought against the senator. He was never charged with anything. Uh, it was basically just public commentary about his affiliations. Yeah, gossip. Yeah. Yes, right, at best. Maybe in the media. Maybe it was whispered, but I even doubt that because the media would would suffer, you know, hitting hitting a man like that over the head yes. with an article. No, no way they do that. Definitely. Okay. So the next one on the list, the next suspect is William Blackie Mansfield. Uh, curious side note, Mr. Lund, do you know why they called him Blackie? Do you want to take a... No, but I feel we've already... Do you want me to tell you? We were so racist the last time, and it feels like you're heading down that same track for some friggin' reason. If I can stop you right there, Mr. Luna, it is not... Oh. It is not a severely racist thing that you are assuming. It is this. He was... Described by a by a newspaper man named Jack Boyle as a blonde-haired, blue-eyed mm. army deserter. So he deserted the army, and back then, he so he was dubbed with the moniker Blackie because he was an army deserter. You big giant racist. Yeah, well, I, okay, that's great. It feels like he set me up there, though. Like he knew that I would react that way. So that's racist on your end. I feel. I was testing your racism. Testing your racism. Neither here nor. You're horrible. Well, potato, tomato. 
Okay, well, keep, let's keep going. Uh, tomato. Potato. Okay. All right, keep All going. All right, here we go. It's fine. It's touchy. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, we'll get over it. We got a lot of grief over that. We did. We did. Nah, uh, we actually didn't get any. <laughs> <laughs> Even though it was in association with, with I'm just going to call him William because Blackie seems intense. Okay, all right. So even though it was still suspected that, you know, Frank Jones was uh, maybe the dark mind behind the Villisca murders. Right. Uh, it was believed that the man who actually brought down the axe was William Mansfield. Yeah. So what we just were talking about. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. For, for maybe good reason here, Mansfield was a suspected serial killer already. He was thought to have murdered his whole family, infant child, yeah. in-laws, his own wife. Right. And potentially it was suspected that he, he did similar axe murders committed in Paola, Kansas. That was just four days. Four days. Yes, four days before Willisca. That's interesting, isn't it? That, that is super compelling. I mean, what are the what are the chances? I mean, th this guy this guy could could have possibly done the, the exact same thing four days previous, and he's connected to this guy who has a problem, which was Sayamura, and he is not even my number one suspect on this or yours. I'm sure. Is, is, is I know it's crazy. It's not. He's not my number one. Unbelievable. Here's why. Here's why I'll tell you where I think things fall apart for him. Mm. Uh, it where where it falls apart is him being a suspect. Is this that that. It is not determined anywhere that I could find that he murdered his wife, infant child, in-laws, and everyone in the same method. So I think that's significant because four days early, he kills a bunch of people in Kansas using an axe. Then he kills his family not using an axe and then does Velisca with an axe. I just don't, there's no connective tissue there for me. Do I think that maybe? He's killing, why? He's killing people though. He's killing a lot of people though. Yeah. Sure, there's a lot of people being dead, but I think the thing that I, I, I'm focusing on is, yes, is it likely that whoever was in Kansas and killed was the Velisca? Sure, but right. here's the problem. Um, you don't have a problem. He had an alibi. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, so he. <laughs> I was hoping something would come to me. Yeah, you're hoping a freaking plane would crash into your house for a second there. Okay, keep going. Exactly. A detective, uh, what was his name? J uh, Mr. Newton. J James Newton Wilt Wilkerson. James Newton Wilkerson. He, was con he convinced a grand jury to open an investigation on Mansfield. All in 19 so four years later, 1916, he convinces a grand jury. Mm. But he ultimately had an alibi and he was released. Not only that, but this is interesting. So Mansfield, good old Blackie, mm -hmm. went back and he successfully sued Wilkerson and was awarded $2,225. Yeah, that doesn't sound too, too uh, amazing, $2,225. But if you do the math, I, I'm assuming that's close, you know, like to 25 grand or something like that. Yeah, after inflation? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it, what, 1916 to now, it, factoring in inflation, everything, that's, right. by my math, it's like $84,612. Really? Oh, you have exact math. Okay. It's common core. 
Perfect. All right. Well, let's keep on moving by your math, by my math, $84,642 and 62. I don't know where I get that number from. Eh. So 612, but okay. okay it's, <laughs> all right. Right. Anyway, here's guy, the next suspect. Like diddling, so, diddling Karen to get the, get the digits. Okay, keep yeah, going. Well, she, you know. Okay. Moving Keeps on. Keeps you warm at night. Yes. Mm. Henry Lemore. He's our third suspect here. In May of 1913, so a year later-ish, and a federal investigator declared that not only had he solved the Velisca murders, but also, get this number. This is crazy, crazy stuff here. He says he had had solved the Velisca murder, but also 22 other axe murderers murders across the country. Why are you laughing when you're saying that? That is ridiculous. Because... 22 other axe murderers. It's hilarious. He... Listen, this is what's funny about that. That's like me saying, hey, I just solved uh, a shovel, a a beheading by shovel, also 22 (laughs) other beheadings by shovel across the country. Just as funny. That's just as funny, man. It's so ridiculous. Yeah, you're it's right. like obviously there is some connection here. Who the heck? Who the heck? Right? Right. Axe right. twenty-two. That's a significant. It's, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot, man. It's a lot. Okay, keep going. Anyway, right. So he laid the blame at at the feet of Henry Lee Moore, who, by the way, there's no relation between him and Josiah Moore and his family. You know the people that own the house. Right. Um, mm. Yeah, that they died in. Yeah, the eight people. Right. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, He had already been convicted of the murder of his mother and his grandmother just a few months after the Velisca killings. Yeah, so this dude's a crazy dude. Yeah. Um, So here's here's another thing. So Henry Lee Moore, he served out 36 years of a life sentence, and then he was paroled in 1949. Okay. But interesting, Henry Moore, he was never charged with the Velisca killings or any of the other murderers of which anyone suspected him of, of doing. So it was just basically he went to prison for killing his mother and grandmother, by the way, not with an ax. Here's the thing. Let, sorry, let, 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 me, let me cut you off here real quick here. Okay, so yes, this is mind-blowing that there was 22 other ax murders across the country. And here's something we need to keep in mind here, is that back in this time, the ax was like one of the number one things that people would grab to use because everybody had an ax out front of their house. Every single person... In, in, in the communities all around would have an axe outside their house. Why? Even like with the, well, to, to chop wood. Oh. For the, you know why. Okay. So to chop wood for their chimneys. That makes sense. So. Maybe for their fireplaces, you don't want to put wood in a chimney. Stop it. So you knew, you knew what you were asking. You were, Waiting for me to trip up. So you did. Oh my god! I just watched a documentary on chimneys. You know, you gotta make sure you clean those chimneys, or else like the 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 smoke swirls in the middle, eh? And it can't can't get sucked at the top, and all of a sudden you get carbon monoxide poisoning. Or the smoke itself can light on fire. Smoke is flammable. Smoke is flammable. Smoke is not is energy that has not been used up by the fire. This, Go ahead. May I say something really quick to the listening audience? Oh god! Please, if you are hearing this and you are not supporting. Crime machine, please do, because Mr. Luna has enough time on his hands. This is Patreon to watch documentaries about frigging chimneys. What is this noise happening? How about this? And we won't keep going. We won't. We listen. 
ancient history on YouTube. And also, you just ask the audience to support when they're listening to this uh, exclusively on Patreon. So, uh, see what I did come there? On, man. That was very, yeah. very, very Re- sly, ridiculous, sneaky. Mm-hmm. Not at all. Okay, so this, all I'm trying to say is that everyone had an axe. The, the fact that this guy killed 22 people with an axe is not that crazy. It, it, it's just a tool that was around, and you can easily use it and leave it there at the house. It, how did he? Just like this person who did with Valeska Axman. How did he kill his mother and grandmother? You don't know. Because I didn't type it uh-huh. in the bullets, for one, obviously, but in addition to that, it was not specified, so I don't know. I guess, okay, you make a point. You make a point. Okay, keep going. One point, Mr. Luna, 36 points, and 12 points, uh, one, two points me. Um, did I say this? Definitely say? not the way the scoring is gone. Okay, yeah, so, okay, we're on to suspect number four, Andy Sawyer. Andy Sawyer. He, there, there was natural suspicion at the time, and this makes sense, it being an agrarian town that... Hey, man, maybe we should look at all the transients and strangers who come through town as maybe there's maybe one of them that, you know, could have done this. So, you know, Andy Sawyer was one of these people. Yeah. So he was reported by the sheriff. um, By his employer, like it was odd behavior. Yes. Yeah. He had odd behaviors. Uh, He was apparently very interested, very interested in the Villisca murders. And it said that he would sleep fully dressed while gripping an axe that he used as a worker on the Burlington Road. So he would sleep. Again, again. Okay, there you again, go. Again, not unusual. Again, not, not unusual because it's the only weapon. No, but the only weapon he would have. Yes, today it would be unusual. But then, no, he's trying to protect himself. Okay. Go ahead. Right. I guess, okay. I, I would choose something a little less cumbersome, maybe a little more comfy. But. Well, that's all he had. Like what? Right. You're. Good points. Like what, though? Good points. Two points, Mr. Okay. Luna. He was dismissed yeah. as a suspect, though, when it came to light that he'd been arrested for vagrancy in Osceola, Iowa, on the night of the murder. So he was out. Like, Not unusual. Pretty quick. Forget it. In and out. In and out like a slab of bacon. <laughs> All right. He, he didn't do it. Here's a hot potato right here. Yes, it, this is. This guy. The Reverend George Kelly. So he was, yeah. he was the chief suspect. He was a traveling minister. Mm-hmm. He was arrested in 1917 after years of sending inquiring letters about the murders to police and family members of the victims. He had previously been arrested for sending obscene material through the mail and had been held in a mental hospital in Washington, D.C., after his arrest, Kelly was made, uh, he, he made a full confession to the Walliska slang. So he confessed to this stuff. All right. So off your bullet points there, uh, yeah. the, the, yes, uh, everything you said is true. But, but beyond that, like this as an adolescent, he had, he had a mental breakdown. Um, but uh, like as, as an adult, he was peeping in people's windows. He was a pervert. He, yes, he's a pastor, but we know a lot of reverence pastors can't can be perverts. Um, and like he was asking women to pose, pose nude for him. And, uh, he was actually the one who was there at that church service that the Moore family with, with their guests, uh, oh my God, I'm going to forget their names, Ina and oh my God, 
Ina, I'm sorry. But like the, the, the two guests, they, they came to the church for this. And he was the reverend who was there. He was running the church service. So he, this, in my opinion, this makes him one of the top suspects. Top, top two. I have two, and he, he is either one or two. I think he could have done it. He could have followed them home. Um, it kind of throws away my theory that the, pers- that, the, that the man was waiting in the attic. The cigarette butts in the attic really make me feel like someone was waiting in the attic. Um, oh, there's a text message. Yeah, we got a new supporter on Patreon. Oh, new patron. All right. Hey, that's welcome, Kelly. That's, oh, there you go. That's good for you. Good for you to do that. So um, say whatever else you want to say about this man. But I mean, he, he, was, he was clearly mentally disturbed. Very easily could have seen them there at the church that evening. Followed them home. Again, the only thing that goes against is that he would have had to have come in the back door because he couldn't have possibly been in the house laying in wait, which makes him number two. Actually, I'll go against what I said. He makes makes him number two to me. Okay. Well, he so he confessed. Um, well, yeah. I, he, but, he was also like an attention, a glory hog, but go ahead. Yes, right. Well, it, so he confessed and then they interrogated him for literally hours. And then he recanted almost immediately after that. He, so he, he had two trials. First trial ended in a hung jury. And then the second one resulted in an acquittal. So, you know, whatever, dude. Interesting. Why was, you know, was it because he was a reverend? So here's my question. If he was a traveling minister, what religion was he part of? Do you think was he part of the pedestrian religion? Pedestrian, stop. Okay, moving on. You're underhanded. You got it. Moving on. Moving on. So there's a book, actually, that that, uh, really believes that they've tied, tied together some loose ends with this case. This case, and, and surprisingly, a shocking number of other cases, actually. So there's a book called The Man from the Train, and it's by authors. Here Bill, we go. Yeah, Bill James and Rachel McCarthy James. Mm-hmm. Um, they are related, actually. Yeah, can I cut in for a sec? Yeah. I mean, after, after we, because this case kind of came about very quickly, this was the, the original case, like I said before, but if I was to redo it, I mean, The Man from the Train is a great title. I couldn't steal that title. But maybe we'll revisit this case at some point and go from the angle of what we're about to speak about right now is whoever this man was that was on the train hopping up. So let's say that Velisca had a train running through it. All small towns, even the one I'm in, most small towns, ancient, not ancient, but old small towns have a railway system running through it. And Velisca is no different. You have a train running through your friggin' living room, man. I've heard it. Well, uh, what, when I'm not home? Nah. With, with my wife? No, with... I hear it in your stoo-stoo. Oh, okay, all right. all right. Take it easy. I just thought you were going down a track. I didn't want you to go down. No, I'm ne- I would never go down that track. So, all right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, go ahead. Well, okay, so... They wrote a book, and yes, you, Ms. hold on. Let me just let me just repeat what you just said. That you have a train running through your living room when you're in your stool stool. Yeah. Oh, you get it? Because like when you're on the record, I don't know if you've ever heard a show called Dark Topic, but they, you said my living room. Well, not, not my town. You said my living room. I know. Okay, go ahead. But it was just a figure. Yeah. It was a figure of speech. Uh-huh. Basically, because you know me saying, "Hey, you got one running through your studio." People could think that you are your studio is in a high-rise downtown 
yeah. BFE Canada town that you live in. Well, let me, let me uh, just to finish up this thought, if someone tells me, hey, man, you got a train running through your living room when you're a stew-stew, and I know that my wife's home when I'm at my stew-stew. Oh, I see where you're going with I'm a little upset by that. I get oh, it. Oh, do you? You're, you're talking right. about running train. Oh, I get it. Okay. You're familiar with that? Well, okay, I just going. Googled. I just Googled oh. myself, <laughs> and I oh my found goodness. out the answers there. Okay. All right. All right. Bang, bang. We're both on the same mm. page now. All right. So the man from the train. Yes. So yeah, you couldn't steal that title, so we'd have to repurpose it as like the man from the locomotive. Hey. Right. We got a message we're good. from Don't worry about a- it. Ashley. Hey, Ashley. Yeah, that's my buddy. Don't worry. Don't worry about that. <laughs> good guy. All right, here we go. So they claim to have discovered through analysis of contemporary records the existence and identity of a serial killer named Paul Mueller. Mueller. Yeah, he, mm-hmm. he operated throughout North America in the early 20th century, they, they, they say. Killing between, here's the number, 40 to 100 people. Mm-hmm. Jeez, Louise, that's crazy. Okay. Yeah. So they discovered scores of number of murders. They discovered scores of murders of entire families committed from 1898 to 1912. Occurring in Nova Scotia, Oregon, Kansas, Florida, Arkansas, uh, and other locations. And they ascribe all of these to Mueller. Obviously, Iowa, because that's where Williska happens, right? So, right. here's the crazy thing, is we, we are talking about Williska, but many of these crimes, they, got, they earned a significant amount of publicity. But most of them just like faded from attention, apart from, obviously, Williska. So, mm. um, but Mueller's name was apparently, he was linked to only one crime in contemporary media, which is crazy. He was the subject of an unsuccessful year-long manhunt as the sole suspect in an 1897 murder of a family in West Brookfield, Massachusetts. Mm. Yeah, they had, they had him employed as a farmhand, right. Yeah. Well, it's, <laughs> yes, Th- this is... I mean, I don't know if anybody listening is is, is uh, familiar with this particular case, but I mean, there there are so many similarities to what happened in Velisca. Velisca really stands out. I'm not sure why it stands out in, in comparison to all the rest here. Um, I'm sure there's a reason that I'm not catching right now. We should, uh, but we, we should find out about the other cases and see if there's something. Maybe through axing some questions, we can find out. Axing, okay. The difference. I see what you did there. Accidentally, you think, yeah. So yeah. the the thing is, is that sometimes things just stand out. Particular particular murders within like a serial killers portfolio will stand out too. Valeska, I'd say it probably stands out because like it's a smaller town, and the whole town came. And when you look at the house too, it just looks like a murder house man yeah like it just looks like a place where something horrible happened i'm sure these other places might look the same but let's talk about the similarities between what happened in Velisca and what this guy actually did known known what he did in these other places yes so here's this is crazy so you know you you think oh my goodness listen to the case of Velisca, and you're like that that is threat is a one of a kind yes it's catastrophic like whole family crushed by exes that's and, and then you know, add some people from town, some kids in there, and just it's terrible. So here's the things that they found that are similarities between all of those family murders. Okay. Yeah. They all they all happened within a few hundred feet of a railroad junction. 
Yeah. In the in their respective towns. Slaughter of entire families in small towns with little or no police force, which we know is Wolisca. Yeah, Wolisca was that way. Yeah. Yeah. Families having a barn or a hiding place which, where the killer yeah. was believed to have hidden to observe, the, to observe the families, which we know is the case, right? Didn't you say, was it? Felisca had a barn out back. There was a barn out back right. that we didn't mention. And then yeah. the attic, it was what, candle and cigarettes. Like he had been there for a little while. Scoping it out. Okay. Yeah. Um, families having no dog. No dog. Yes. So mm. no intruder warnings whatsoever. Killer used a blunt edge of an axe as a murder weapon. The, and a blunt yeah. edge as the murder weapon. That's crazy. And I mentioned this. I think I mentioned this in, in the thing. But the reason why he used the blunt edge is because when you use the sharp edge, it gets stuck right in and you got to yank it out. And that takes more time. Right. So you hit them with a the blunt edge. and Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. The, the killer always left the axe in the plain sight. And now consider this. All right, let's talk about that yeah, first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. You, you go ahead. If you, if you got a call on that. But, you know, I, we'll probably say the same thing. The reason why it would be left there is because you're not going to walk down the street with an axe covered in blood and hop, hop on a train with that with you afterwards. It's not a gun you can conceal afterwards. You might as well just leave it right on the scene and not be seen at all with it when, once you leave, right? Right. Well, okay. Harkening back to your comment about everyone had an axe, right? Here's the thing. Yeah. No one today, if you walked in my house and my whole family's dead and I'm dead and everyone's heads are crushed and there's an axe laying against the wall, you're like, holy. You have a family? Well, we're going through some stinks, you know. Going through some Learning stinks. lots about you. Well, I'm learning lots about my family. I, sh- I, should let, I should let you go once in a while. You gave me the impression that you had nothing else to do. That's. There's been a lot of discoveries this week. You know, I didn't. You know, I'm not, you're not the only one dealing with issues in the house. I feel bad. Friggin' Joyce. You listening to me, Joyce? Talk to you. The di- Suck it, Joyce. Oh, my God. You hear a deadbeat dad. No, she's a deadbeat mom. Anyway. She's probably literally dead. All right, go ahead. There's no axe in my house. I'll put it that way. So, okay, here's the things. So, yes, yeah, so consider that X kills all people in the house. Then it's laid just somewhere in plain sight. He, it, it's not like he's like, ha, 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 here's an axe. Except for in Velisca, he did do that, right? He left it in the room laying next to the Baconator. Yeah. It, well, the Baconator. It was, <laughs> it was the last place where he, he killed them. That's, that's why we know he killed them last. Besides the defensive wounds, they were awoken. Um, yeah, they were clearly the last people to have died. And he left it in the last spot. But the thing that stands out here for me, uh, as, as well as all the other things that you mentioned, is that he covered all the victims with sheets or blankets prior to the murders, uh, probably to, to prevent blood splatter, uh, which is not the route that I went at all with that. I thought he covered them up afterwards just because he was in shame or some kind of ritual. But to cover them up before, that's weird. To throw a blanket over top of them, you think that would wake them up, though? No? I don't know. Someone covers me with a blanket, I just kind of get a little more cozy. You've seen it, all, all every movie in the world. Dad covers gently blanket over a child. The child's like, hmm. Not, what? Oof. Who the puts a blanket on me while I sleep? Nobody gets worried. Nobody. That's actually a comforting thing. So If somebody throws a blanket over my head... I'm going to wake up, man. Anyways, let's go. So, if he so, did it gently. 
Sotoli. <laughs> okay, here, back to back. Here, I'm, gonna, I'm waking up. Go really ahead. quick, la, back to the axe. So yeah, mm. it was it was played up. Let's say it was defined as a thing in the Velisca case. But consider, to your point, if everyone has an axe, no one's going to necessarily be looking at the axe. You know, they're like, oh, there's there's an axe. You know. Yeah. And it, maybe it's maybe it's just in the house or like you know propped up against the front door again or whatever. So I'm just saying, yeah, it's interesting. Um, also, there was no there was no other crime committed in the houses. There's no robbery. There was no ransacking. There was no. Honestly, I'm not even yeah. quite sure sexual indiscretion happened with any of the victims as far as them being violated. I'm not sure that that was even a thing either. Right. Yeah, I, I yeah, we we can't. Be, I mean, all the all the stuff from back in these times, you really can't trust a lot of the reporting that went down. And they would they would downplay any of the sexual activity for the papers because definitely back then, and even up until the, you know in the seventies, they wouldn't give you those details because they wouldn't want to turn you off um, to read your paper in the morning. I think that that happened with Dennis Nilsson in England. Uh, whenever that happened, I covered that. Um, that they wouldn't give a lot of the details because it would turn people off because they'd be reading the newspaper while they're eating their ham and eggs in the morning. So there could be rape and all that kind of thing going on, but because of the you know strict religious mindset of the time and uh, you know they they might hold they might hold off on on those they, details. They definitely might. And you, to your point, they even some of the media made veiled references. It, with regard to all of these killings of, you know, maybe the killer having ejaculated at the crime scene, but that, it, that yes, that there were, they weren't specifying sexual indiscretion with the victims. Um, but they do believe, like, so the authors of the book, they, they believe that the, the motive was based on a sadistic sexual attraction to prepubescent girls because they that was a that was a also commonality between all the houses yes. that that were yeah, that they were there. happened, right? Yes. Like they were offing offing the, the, the heads of the family and then having their way with the girls, which is I believe I believe that's what happened. Yes. Um but it, we let's let's move on quick. We're this this thing is going very long, which I'm actually enjoying myself. But we should go we should go with the man in the train. Let's go straight to Germany. What happened here? Uh, okay, if you don't mind. No. Okay. So let me just give you two, a, a couple more notes, really quick. <laughs> you don't listen. I, All right, go ahead. I don't. So because this is juicy. These are juicy bits here, man. During this time, so between 1890 and 1912, there was an average of eight murdered families per year so that that's like on the that's on par with like the california serial killers where people are like hey oh crap he killed another girl that's that's like hey eight in a year that's like that's gonna be dinner talk like oh gosh did you hear there's another family killed by an axe in another state you know eight times a year here here's where it's interesting so this, yeah. so James, who the James, the author of the book, who is by the way a stat- statistician by trade. Oh, really? He does nails? No, he does. He does statistics. Oh, okay. I thought you said a statistician. Yeah, no, yeah, he does the uh, sabermetrics. It's for baseball, breaking it all down. Yeah, gotcha. Right. 
It, so he says because the rarity in general of murdered families being murdered as a family, that it's so rare that it's virtually impossible for crimes to have such idiosyncratic similarities as we have in these cases. All those bullet points are the same in every single case, that there's just no way they cannot be connected. So interesting, in 1908, there was a cooling off period for about a year. And they, so they speculate that the killer must have been apprehended, was imprisoned for, a, for some minor crimes you know, that he got out of because it kicked back in in 1909. Mm. So they believe that Mueller committed 14 family murders that totaled 59 victims, right? Yeah. And they're less certain about about another 25 family murders. Like, I don't know how you're like... Why are you laughing every like, time? It's crazy because like 14 families get killed and they're like, yeah, those 14 for sure. And they're like, hey, there's right. this other 25 families that were killed. And I'm like, oh, I'm not so sure. Not so sure. Yeah. And <laughs> another yeah. 94 people were killed in family units. And they're like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Right. But finally, after the killing in the U.S., so it's highly likely that Mueller escaped in 1922. And he committed, this is crazy. There's another very popular case that happened in Germany called Hinterkaifeck. There we go. And they believe that Mueller escaped the U.S., went to his own home country of Germany. Yep. They, they, almost the exact same situation, family of murders, axe, axe, blunt end of axe is the thing that killed them. It's crazy. In Germany? In Germany. After this, after this guy who's a German citizen escaped and, and like maybe headed back there. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is, it is super... Super interesting. And I think this is most likely the guy who did it. I think that this is the guy who, who did the Velisca axe murders. Yeah. It's, it seems... Of all of them. Yes. The, it, there's so much, so much creepiness going on here. Plus, they stopped in 1912. So they stopped in 1912. Yep. And then Hinter down the road. Crazy. Yeah. Is that who you think as well? You think this is the most likely? I, I really do. I really yeah. do. There's so much mystery around him. He was uh, often in the media. Mueller was coined as a German immigrant. We know that he worked in several trades that would align with these towns, you know, these, these railroad junction type of towns and whatnot. So mm -hmm. he's my man. Yeah. He's my man. Yeah, he's my man too. No, for sure, and, and it lines up for me with with the man waiting up in, in the uh, in the attic. It, it seems like if he was a journeyman killer, that he would scope a place out and get up into an opportune spot. Um, it lines up for me with the the kids coming last in the basement because he wouldn't have known that they were there. Sorry, in the in the main room. Uh, Again, I've said it earlier, but it does. It, it strikes me as strange to go back up and really annihilate Josiah Moore and his wife's uh, faces with the sharp end of the axe. Uh, but again, that that could go to something paranormal, which I spoke about before. So, you know, take it whatever way you want to take it. Yeah. This is why we do Crime Machine, and you, you you can't cover it all in the in the storytelling way that we've gone about it. But we cover some of it here, so keep on coming back for these after shows, and we'll continue to do it this way. You did a good job there, Rob. You did a good job. I know you got a family to get back to now. 
Thanks. So similar to the r- famous rapper. You want to keep talking? Well, okay, go ahead. the famous rapper that said. Oh, I let you off the hook. You're talking about rappers. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. The famous rapper that said, don't call it a comeback. I will say this. Don't call it an after show because, man, this is a this is like a whole juicy episode. This is the stuff that we cover here is groundbreaking. We get the we get the genius of your writing in the episodes. We get the amazing production skills of whoever the magic guy is that does the production, whoever that guy is. And then we get to sit here and chit chat about the the meat of this story. It's some it's so fun. Right. Speaking, you're stroking, you're stroking, you're stroking. Talking about meat. Yeah. Might as well be banging a four-pound hammer of uh, a bacon right now. Yep. All right, Karen, can you please cut this episode, and we will see you next time. You did not ask me the question, but I will give you the answer there, uh, that our next case will be a strange one, uh, as they all have been. This will be Carl Panzram. If you're not familiar with him, he is deemed as like the most prolific serial killer, like they all are. They say every serial killer is the most prolific. Depends on who's writing the book. Uh, Carl Panzram is, is deemed to be like the most violent offender in U.S. history. Uh, another case from the early 20th century. Uh, but we go all over the place with this one. Go to Execution Rocks. I don't even want to tell you anything else about it, really, this time. So tune in. We'll have it here for you on Patreon exclusive. Early release next Sunday. Almost said eyes cocked, doors locked. You got anything else you want to say there? Uh, well, I was just going to say that you can tell Karen to cut this episode as much as you want, but she only listens to me. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm going to let this I'm run. Sure I'm going to let the clock run out on this bad boy. <laughs> okay, just kidding. I, I'm going to come walking out of that crime machine one day and your freaking whole body's going to be chopped to pieces. And there's going to be like your dinky. Uh, rumbling along the buttons of the crime machine. You think Karen's going to just cut me up? Yeah. Karen and I have a special, unique bond. It's very dynamic. Mm, I bet. Karen, do what Jack said. Cut the episode.